This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. Welcome to Better Late Than Never, a movie podcast where I invite a friend to watch a blockbuster, cult favorite, or otherwise culturally significant film that they've never seen before. After we watch the movie, my guest will decide if it was better late, that they've been missing out by not having seen the film, or never. The movie just didn't live up to the hype for them. My name is Dave, and I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by usual suspect, Drew, and we're going to be watching a movie that he's never seen before, Beverly Hills Cop from 1984. Drew, welcome to the program. Always a pleasure to be here, Dave. So, Drew, you've never seen Beverly Hills Cop. I've never seen Beverly Hills Cop. How? How is this possible? Yeah, uh, at first I want to give a shout out. Just take a moment here and give a shout out to our friend, Justin. Oh, I love that guy. For those unaware, Justin is a good friend of ours that we've known since high school, and uh, he happens to be the musician behind the jingle and intro music to this here program. Which is awesome, by the way. Which is awesome. Justin, we love you. We love you, Justin. What I would like to point out is, uh, in listening to the theme music, you'll notice there are a couple of uh, hints to some prominent and well-known musical scores from significant films. I did notice that. Yes, and one of them is uh, the theme music from Beverly Hills Cop. And it took me listening to the theme music to say, oh, that's from Beverly... Wait a minute. I've never seen Beverly Hills Cop. So thank you, Justin, for weaving it into the theme music uh, and inspiring me to recognize that this is such a significant film that I've never seen. Nice, nice. Well, we love you, Justin. Thank you. Thanks for that. Even though you're Canadian. <laughs> we won't hold it against him. I'll hold it a little bit against him. <laughs> well, cool, man. I'm glad you're finally getting around to this one, because when I was a kid, this was one of my absolute favorite movies. Cool. So I'm glad you'll be seeing it for the first time. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so do people find this out and, like, freak out a little bit? They do. They do. People are like, oh, you haven't seen Beverly Hills Cop? You gotta see it. Other reactions I've gotten, I'm aware that there are sequels. Yep. I've been told that it's not important that I see them. It is not. Uh, so there's that. And uh, another thing that I'm I'm noticing. So I've encountered a number of people who have become aware that I've not seen Beverly Hills Cop. Given my age, you know, I, I'm, I just turned 34, which puts me in this kind of like older 
millennial range. I'm like towards the the older end of what you would call a millennial. I right? think by pretty much all standards, you are an old millennial. I'm an old millennial, yeah. right? No one younger than me reacts in a way of like, oh, you haven't seen that? I feel like being 34 right now is the oldest you can be where someone will expect that you ought to have seen this movie. Yeah, yeah, I I, I feel you on that. I mean, given my age, and I'm going to continue to be totally cagey about how old I am, <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure the audience can guess. But uh, there is a definite bias as to the movies that I consider to be important or that my peer group considers to be important on this. Yeah. I was at a social gathering recently where I was talking to someone who was younger than me, I want to say like 23 or something like that. And we were talking about this podcast and what uh, her opinion of movies that would qualify for this would be. And I was kind of running through my choices and I was asking her if she's seen some of these movies. And it was a lot of the ones that we've even covered already. I was like, have you seen... Indiana Jones. Have you seen The Empire Strikes Back? Have you seen Goonies or Jurassic Park? All no. Nope, nope, mm. nope, nope. Never even heard of that one. Wow. And then I was like, okay, I got to change tactics here. And I went to, have you ever seen Shrek? Okay. And she, like her eyes lit up. She was like, yeah, I love Shrek. And I was like, okay, so now I've hit, I've certainly hit the Eddie Murphy vehicle <laughs> that people are going to recognize the most, you know? Yeah. It was just, it was very interesting, the like, the cultural divisions that come from aging. I was hoping to never have to experience it. But then again, I guess I'm kind of fortunate that I get to. I'm curious. Because what... it means I'm still alive. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, what, um, you know, what was an example of a film that she raised that was like, oh, you think that one's significant? That may have surprised you. Um... Well, I went through a lot of early Spielberg. Yeah. Or, you know, like classic Spielberg. So E.T., Close Encounters. I I think for Close Encounters, she'd never even heard of it. Mm. You know, she hadn't seen Dress. And keep in mind that this was just one person. Right. So I think the bias that we're dealing with here, and it's deliberate because that's what I wanted to do on this project anyway, was a lot of movies that we as kids would have watched a lot or heard of a lot growing up. And that, you know, it gets ingrained in our minds that, like, this is a classic. This is a cultural touchstone. Everyone's seen this movie. And, man, that changes. Yeah, it changes, apparently, with age. So... Who'd have thought? It might be interesting to get some younger guests on this show. Where the fuck am I going to meet younger guests? I don't know, man. Where the fuck did you meet this 23-year-old? Ugh. Okay, now this is getting into a whole other story. I, I, I was on a playground. I was selling candy. <laughs> Someone asked me to move my van. Hello, little boy. <laughs> Would you like to come with me? <laughs> and that's a great way to meet new people. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll think about it. I definitely can get people that are older on this podcast. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll take that into consideration, though. That's an interesting thought. Sure. I, I mean, just to round out the reactions that I get, I'll summarize this point by saying, I feel like I'm right on the cusp where I'm just old enough, where I'm not getting the reaction of folks of, 
that movie was a little before your time. Yeah. I think I, if I was, you know, 30, people might be saying that to me. Like, oh, right. well, I don't expect you to have seen Beverly Hills Cop. It was probably a little before your time. I see what you're saying, and I do agree with you. I think there's a counter-argument to be made, though, and we'll talk about this later, that this film was so big, hmm. and it was such a cultural phenomenon that even for a younger person, maybe not once you start getting down into, like, the teenagers of today, yeah. but anyone who's an adult now should at least have some kind of passing familiarity with it. Yeah. I mean, Eddie Murphy is still a bankable movie star. Right. And this is one of his biggest films. Right. So, you know, it's it's something we'll talk about, though, once we uh, once we get into the discussion of this movie's legacy, which we'll get to in a bit. So... Talking about the movie itself, though, do you have any sense of what this movie's about, what it's like? Well, sure. Yeah, I do. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, I'm acutely aware that this is one of Eddie Murphy's kind of launching films. Mm -hmm. You know, in terms of Eddie Murphy in films, this is one of his earliest, greatest. Absolutely. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. I expect it to be... I expect to be laughing a lot. Uh, I expect it will be quite funny and entertaining. You know, funny comedy. We know it's a comedy. I, it, you know, in terms of the intensity and flavor of the comedy, I'm kind of expecting something that may be a little edgy in some places while also overall feeling like it maintains this fun for the whole, whole family wholesomeness. So I, I'm kind of like, I'm really interested to see how edgy it gets exactly mm -hmm. um the title itself right suggests that it's fun for the whole family that it's fun for the whole family but but also like what is a beverly hills cop like what kind of crime is being investigated in beverly hills it's 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 almost it's already like whimsical and like you expect the intrigue to be sort of on the level of a soap opera of you know this cop is getting embroiled in the uh, shenanigans of celebrities who live in Beverly Hills and things like that. So it already the premise already lends itself to, okay, it's a serious job in a context that's a little less than serious. So I think we're gonna we're gonna enjoy the the kind of juxtaposition juxtaposition of that. Yeah. So uh, just prediction wise, I want to get this clear. The in this case, you think the Beverly Hills cop is Eddie Murphy. Yes. He lives in Beverly Hills. He works as a police officer in Beverly Hills. And Be yes. he's doing um, police work, but he's kind of dealing with the frustrations of interacting with a lot of vapid celebrities. Yeah, that's that's kind of, yeah, that's well put to gotcha, the impression gotcha. that I have. Yeah. And, you know, I expect him to have partners and others on the force who he's working with, but maybe not so closely like he definitely seems like he's the lone lone wolf wolf kind of character even though he may have a partner nominally right i want to ask i want to circle back to your thing about so this will have some edgy comedy but potentially be family friendly how familiar are you with uh eddie murphy's early work i'm quite familiar with a couple of his stand-ups from right around that time i've seen a few of them so i know you know, uh, I do have some predictions and, and and thoughts about some types of content that we may see. Oh, lay them on me. Yeah. So, you know, two things that I'm looking for 
uh, I imagine that that I'll encounter at least one moment where something there's something racist that happens mm-hmm. that will feel like it might not fly in a film today. Right. Like, um, you know, the, the, the narrative around race may be presented in a way that would make us quite uncomfortable mm-hmm. if it was brought up in, in the film in the same way today. Right. So I, I'm interested, I'm be looking for that and something, you know, same thing with, uh, I, I imagine there's going to be at least one moment where the sexism of things also kind of feels that way. Right. Something that wouldn't fly in today's kind of me too conversation. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I guess I, I have other predictions too. Should we launch into all of them or we totally should. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. I mean, so this is a, this is a uh, classically eighties film in style is, is the impression I get from not only the theme music, but from the cover art and all that I've seen, you know, I expect there will be tight eighties jeans. I expect <laughs> there will be, big hair i expect there will be shoulder pads on both the men and the women hmm. and eddie murphy i believe will be wearing a colorful leather jacket at least through some of the film uh and other characters will be sporting similar uh flair if i'm if i'm on the money with this one right what else? I mean, I think we can probably also expect there to be some 80s jams in the uh, the mm. soundtrack. We may be chuckling at the the style. Or maybe it'll rock. Or it may rock. Uh, you never know. And uh, actually, I, it probably will rock. And then, of course, amongst all of this, people will be walking around, you know, like all of this is normal. Yeah. Which will be wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So that's yeah. I mean, uh, I I think that runs through most of my predictions. Okay. Yeah. What do you think the crime like in all of these movies? And th- this isn't a spoiler because it's a trope. Right. In all these movies, there's kind of like a main crime, like sure. an underlying big one that he winds up having the climax be about. Yeah. What do you think that's going to be here, or what I do you mean, think it's going to be about? If if I had to give it a best guess, I think we're we're going to be dealing with a murder case. Okay. You know, some celebrity will have died, and we. Are trying to figure out why and and you know who done it kind of thing. That said, you know I expect with that being the case, this uh, murder case will be treated a la you know Ace Ventura, where it you know there's a lot of just like funny one liners about the the potential crime or the supposed crime that took place and yeah you know um so the crime's kind of silly it's kind of silly like something about it is silly in nature and maybe it's it's silly and being treated serious and that's funny or Mm. you know or uh, it's serious and being treated silly yeah exactly yeah right in that range cool you know i i imagine i imagine some celebrity being thrown off a cliff a hollywood cliff or something like that you know right or like you know a boob job gone wrong yeah exactly you know nip tuck nightmares if you will (laughs) (laughs) cool cool um a couple of just uh miscellaneous questions before we get ready to watch this film any quotes do you know any quotes from this film i don't okay no i don't or gags? Any specific gags? Actually, no. Okay. Um, so That's I'm fine. going in pretty cold on that. Yeah. All right. All right. 
we've talked about it a little bit kind of earlier, but um, how much has this movie been hyped up for you? I mean, I don't have people talking to me about it all the time, which, you know, it took me hearing this theme song to remember, oh, wait, there's that film. And wow, I haven't seen it. Every time I've spoken with someone, the feedback is like, you got to see it. You got to see it. So there's some hype. I do expect to enjoy it. If I don't, I'll be I'll be thoroughly surprised. Okay. Um, Other than that. It hasn't been hyped up so much that I know what I'm looking for beyond like this vague sense of a certain style that's iconic to both Eddie Murphy and the time that time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. I just have one last question for you, Drew. We've already kind of answered it, but um, is there any music that you associate with this movie? I know you've answered this question to the affirmative already. So I guess what I'm really asking is, can you sing it? Eddie Murphy is a Detroit cop. On vacation in Beverly Hills. I just got off the phone with an Inspector Todd in Detroit. He says if you're out here investigating the Tandino murder, you needn't bother coming back. I don't want to take it anymore. For a man who claims to be on vacation, you look a lot like you're on a stakeout. Stakeout? No, no. I'm picnicking. This is like a picnic area. I'm going to ask you some questions about Michael Tandino. I've never been to a cell that had a phone in it. Can I stay for a while? Because I ordered some pizza. We have six witnesses that say you broke in and started tearing up the place, then jumped out the window. May I help you? Yeah. I'm looking for Victor Maitland. I have nothing to say to you. How you doing? You guys don't know nothing about nothing, do you? You just got your badges and your guns and you're on the job, right? Make sure we get the right drinks, because if I drink club soda, I'll throw up. You know, this is the cleanest and nicest police car I've ever been in in my life. This thing's nice in my apartment. Retrospect, you are the pride of your department in Detroit. It seems painfully obvious you haven't the slightest idea who you're dealing with. I don't know what y'all think I am, giving me some kind of food. Hurry up, quicker! Crawl back to your little stone in Detroit before you get squashed. Eddie Murphy, Beverly Hills Cop.
So we have literally just finished watching Beverly Hills Cop. Oh yeah. And now we're back. Drew. Well, did you like it? Oh yeah. What a fun movie. And it, now it's uh probably worth noting immediately that one of my predictions was dead wrong. Oh yeah, which one? Uh the one where I predicted this would be a family-friendly movie. It would remain a wholesome Yeah. Yeah, no. Not, not not really the so case. Much. Pretty gritty, pretty R rated. It is rated R. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, live and learn, I guess. We'll circle back to that. But um generally speaking, that movie holds up, dude. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Well, cool. Let's start talking about it. So, as per usual, we're going to talk about the background first. So, here's what I got. And again, all of this is sourced impeccably from wikipedia and occasionally from imdb so if anything winds up to be complete bullshit probably came from imdb (laughs) all right so the producer uh by the name of don simpson he's a partner of jerry bruckheimer he came up with the idea for the movie or at least the idea for a movie about a cop from a gritty environment relocating to beverly hills now jerry bruckheimer claims that the role of axel foley was first offered to mickey rourke do you know who that is yes he's the guy from the wrestler yep yeah would have been a different film huh yeah way different right wow we're gonna be talking quite a bit about just how critical Eddie Murphy's presence and performance in this movie is. But um, before we actually talk about him, let's continue on with some conceivable alternatives the world could have had. Wow. Like this one. Another person originally considered for the part of Axel Foley was Sylvester Stallone. Wow. Yep. Stallone got the offer and read the script but he gave it a really intensive rewrite to rewrite it in a way that he liked, which was to make it much more of a straight action movie. Mm. Um, He renamed the character Axel Cobretti, and he said that in his script, Beverly Hills Cop would have looked like the opening scene from Saving Private Ryan on the beaches of Normandy. Believe it or not, the finale was me in a stolen Lamborghini playing chicken with an oncoming freight train being driven by the ultra-slimy bad guy. (laughs) Wow. I mean... Okay. How do you play chicken with a train? (laughs) It can't turn. It can't turn. What the fuck are you talking about, Sylvester (laughs) Stallone? My god. Okay. So, um... Does the name Cobretti mean anything to you? To me? Yeah. I mean, it sounds like Cobra, and it's uh, it's Italian sounding. It does sound like Cobra. When Sylvester Stallone was turned down for the movie because his ideas were deemed too expensive, he took his script and turned it into the movie Cobra, where he plays a hard-boiled cop in L.A. with uh, a lot of action and shooting of things. Uh, his name is Marion Cobretti. Oh, wow. 
So this this other film is basically Sylvester Stallone's Beverly Hills Cop. That's another one I haven't seen. Yeah, I don't know if we're really going to catch up on that one. (laughs) I don't think that's going to be an episode anytime soon. Swing and a miss. Yes, indeed. Uh, Sometime after this, Eddie Murphy was picked to be in the film. However, here are a list of actors who are considered for the role besides Eddie Murphy. Hmm. So I already mentioned uh, Stallone and Mickey Rourke. Yep. Richard Pryor. Interesting. Al Pacino. And James Caan. James Caan. James Caan was in The Godfather. Have you seen The Godfather? Yes. Sonny, the one who gets shot. Oh, yeah. Those are the ones from Wikipedia. IMDb had a much longer list, and I'm not sure how much I can take this as truth given how many people are on it, but um, here's what IMDb says. Jeff Bridges. Wow. Billy Crystal. Oh, my goodness. Robert De Niro. What? Harrison Ford. Nick Nolte. Mel Gibson. Kurt Russell. Wow. Arnold Schwarzenegger. You gotta be kidding me with this John list. Travolta and Robin Williams. My goodness. What? Whoa! Robin, down to Robin Williams. Wow. I can't, I'm, I, like, each and every one of those movies, like, I, I feel like they should have done it, where they just made Beverly Hills Cop over and over and over again. With these different... Each time yeah. substituting one of these different, dramatically different people. Because it would completely alter the film. Right. Well, I mean, we've already heard what Stallone's Beverly Hills Cop is. Would have been a completely different, and was. It is a completely different film. It is a completely different film. We've seen Eddie Murphy's, which is like such an Eddie Murphy vehicle. You know, it's so defined by him. And yet, what what would the Arnold Schwarzenegger version look like? What would the fucking Nick Nolte version look like? My God. God, some of these possibilities. I feel like Beverly Hills Cop almost feels like this blank slate that everyone could have had a chance to paint on, and we lost something by not by not doing it. Hey, Netflix, uh, we're going to be producing a series called Beverly Hills Cops. Yes! And uh, it'll rotate through different celebrities playing a Beverly Hills Cop. Each time a different vision. We're talking action we're talking rom-com we're talking noir we're talking horror all of these things beverly hills cop is the gift that keeps on giving please someone give us money and we will do this (laughs) this is a really great investment opportunity get in at the ground floor you want in on this now this is uh act now kind of deal you'll be kicking yourself later Mm -hmm. given all of that Let's talk about the guy who is actually in this movie and who defines it. His name is Edward Murphy. I actually, you know what? I don't even know if that's his name. I've Eddie only ever heard Eddie. For, yeah. I'm looking it up. We we presume that it stands for Edward. It does. Okay. But it, I, I know a person whose name was Kate. Like it wasn't short for anything. Like oh. it was just Kate. And I for a second, I was like, wait a minute. Is his name actually just Eddie? <laughs> yeah. Because like, I've never heard anyone say Edward Murphy. So it is Edward Murphy. So let's talk about him. Yes. I think he's pretty good in this. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Very good role from Eddie Murphy. An, an interesting 
thing I I noticed, like there's a lot of lying happening in yeah. the movie. Like, well, he's conning people. He's constantly. conning people constantly, which is interesting. Yeah. Another thing in the making of info for this movie is that apparently there was an awful lot of improv on mm. set. Like, you know, they would have the idea for the scene and maybe it was written or maybe it wasn't, but they would just, they train the camera on Eddie Murphy and he would just start to go and they just let him run. So I'm yeah. sure a lot of those details, like, you know, you're conning your way into the uh, Beverly Hills Hotel. So whatever you come up with, like, just yeah. roll with that, you know? That's sort of where it feels like. And apparently it ruined a lot of takes because people couldn't stop laughing. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, just this movie, it's like we just said when we were talking about other actors. This movie is so completely defined by his personality and his performance. You yeah. Know? It's it's the Eddie Murphy show. Well, and, and that's, yeah, it really is. I mean, his presence on the camera from the very first scene, he's commanding the attention just from just this like from string of one. witty uh narration yeah i actually wrote this down that um in in the moment when he first appears on screen i got like a little thrill of excitement just because like this is this is young in his prime eddie murphy doing his like signature role and like yeah. i got a little excited to see it i was like fuck yeah we're gonna see something really good and we did we did by the way how old do you think he is gosh he must have been like 22 yeah, he's like 23. Wow. Yeah, maybe 24. Yeah. But like, so young. Yeah, it's... And yeah. so goddamn talented. Like, yep. he is really fucking funny. Yep. <sighs> or at least he was. I mean, I'm sure he still is. Yeah. He just... You've seen Shrek. You know about that donkey. I do like the donkey. Uh, my mind went more towards, like, the Nutty Professor, Norbit. Yeah, we didn't... We the fat suit stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he, he had his whole... Uh, love affair with the fat suit yeah well anyway we don't have to go there yeah we don't have to bum ourselves out talking about that um okay well i'm sure we'll talk about it more when we get into the actual movie but let's double back now and talk about the directing a little bit so this movie was directed by martin brest who was also responsible for films like midnight run scent of a woman okay meet joe black mm -hmm. and Gili. Oh, yeah. That, that that was a notorious bomb of a film, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. It's it's routinely held up as one of those like all-time bad movies. Mm -hmm. Um haven't seen it. Don't really plan on it. Neither do I. Yeah, and I'm a bad movie fan. That being said, I thought the directing in this movie was actually not half bad. Uh the thing that I kept coming back to in my notes was that it was very very competent. Hmm. And while that may sound like it's damning with faint praise, I actually don't think it is. I really kind of came to appreciate just how clear everything was throughout. Like, in the early sort of chase action scene with the truck going through yeah. Detroit, I just kept, like, noticing how clear everything was. And throughout all the action in the movie, even though this isn't, like, a high-end action film, everything is very clear and established i know where everyone is i know what's happening i'm never yeah. confused like a lot of modern day action films you can't really take that for granted yeah there's like there's like tons of fast cuts and like everything's kind of obscured and you don't really have a great sense of what's going on just that like things are happening right this like 
He sort yeah, and also he had this resource in the form of Eddie Murphy where he just sort of tells what's going on. Well, and also he just he doesn't get in his way. You know, he doesn't he he has a light touch yeah. and that's all he needed and he just lets Eddie Murphy do the work and he produced a great film. Right. You know, so I I sort of I I sort of appreciate just how straightforward and uncomplicated the directing is in this movie yeah like there are no overly pretentious flourishes that get in the way of the film delivering that's what right. it's trying to deliver no it's it's straight storytelling and it's straight it's giving you the action in real time yeah so you know that's that's how i felt about it anyway you have any other thoughts on it i mean i would i would tend to agree and where you say it's not it's more than just faint praise that's because you're not necessarily expecting that competency from a film at that time. What, you mean like the 80s? Yeah, like I I, I was, I had my expectations a little lower for the directing than what I saw. Hmm. Well, what do you associate with that time as being something you don't really like about the way movies are directed back then? Um, I don't know, like, I think... Every now and then, the there's a risk of a movie just feeling kind of gimmicky. I hesitate to uh, to give ex- specific examples of movies from that time, but on average, if it had been a movie that I hadn't seen from that time, I might expect the directing to at least not. It could just be cheesy or like. I don't I don't know. Maybe right. that's a, a bias or something, but Sure, sure. Well, let's talk about the rest of the cast beyond just Mr. Edward Murphy. So we've got Judge Reinhold as Detective Billy Rosewood. Now you sort of recognized him? I sort of recognized him. I I can't really think of other movies he's in so prominently. He's in um Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Okay he's in well he's in all of the beverly hills cops movies he's in um you ever see the santa claus with tim allen yes he's the other guy like he's divorced in that and judge reinhold's new husband basically he's made a a career out of playing kind of a doof okay yeah you know he he's always walking into films being that doofy guy right yeah nice but non-threatening yeah so uh you know he and he was fine that's sort of just what he was nice and unthreatening yeah that was his role in this as well his uh naive enthusiasm was pretty funny every now and then yeah that's right i mean he he winds up surprising you with his ability to kind of go with the flow and not be such a stick in the mud kind of square cop right he kills two people in a single day yeah that's true too he is a sharp shot yeah, with that tiny snub nose revolver. He's taken down guys with machine guns. Yep. The doofy guy who's actually a killer. <laughs> Dead eye doof. Yeah. Yeah. Um and uh next we've got John Ashton as Sergeant Taggart. I liked his performance. I did too. He he's kind of a, a type in that he's the gruff, kind of grizzled older detective who's originally hostile yep. and gets one over. But um, I thought he played it nicely. You know, there's some real warmth between him and Axel Foley at the end when they're saying goodbye. Yep. I dug it. We have... All right, I'm going to struggle pronouncing this. 
Lisa Eilbacher as Jenny Summers. Jenny. Jenny. Yeah. I mean, I'd say pretty good performance. I, I think I came into this with a prediction of there being some modicum of sexism or sexist roles. You I'm, did say that, yeah. I didn't, like, I found the level of respect that she seemed to get as a character to be above that expectation. Yeah. Um, she definitely had the shoulder pads and she was definitely all dolled up in the... In the style of the, the time. The style of the time. Yeah, her uh, hair too. The hair, the big hair, the perm, you know? Yeah. But uh, as far as her, I mean, the acting was good and she, like, her opinion mattered. It wasn't like a like some ditzy irrelevant female character right and i mean you know she was like a wealthy successful proprietress of an art gallery she mm -hmm. wasn't just some like dumb ditzy blonde yeah you know right. her role was pretty limited you know and she did wind up being a damsel in distress at the end yes but um it could have been worse and another thing that i found interesting is that they very easily and I think nine times out of ten would have played the relationship between her and Axel Foley as having a sexual undercurrent. Mm -hmm. You know, at least like some kind of sexual tension or some kind of romantic thing going on. But they play it straight, just friends. And yep. they keep it that way. There's never any kind of like burgeoning love interest. Right. It's always just they're friends from back in the day and they stay that way. And I kind of kind of like that they played it just right. straight like that. Yeah, that's a good choice. Yeah. And, you know. Not that it would have diminished her character, but, you know, there is that trope of there's one girl in the whole movie and she's just a love interest. Right. Here, at least, she's like, she's a friend who gets involved in the, you know, investigation because she wants to help. She wants to find out what happened to her, her friend because yeah. the, the person who died is a mutual friend, you know, gives yeah. her a little bit more to more agency. Yeah. And I mean, we have some scenes where they have some subtle chemistry in that way, too, but it's not overdone you know yeah it's we know we know what the focus of the plot of this movie is and it's not on a romance between these two characters right we're not going to distract distract things with that yeah yeah i like that they didn't just go with the trope right so up next we have ronnie cox as lieutenant bogamil uh that's taggart's uh superior right he's the uh the guy who's most of the time in charge at Beverly Hills PD. Yeah. You didn't recognize him. Uh, I didn't recognize him from the other... What was it that you said? He He's from in... RoboCop. He's in RoboCop. He's I mean, most prominently for me anyway. In RoboCop. Yeah, no, I didn't... I guess it's been a while since I've seen RoboCop. Oh, that's a shame. You should, uh, you should fix that. <laughs> well... I first of all he's fine in this and I think he does a perfectly good job. I thought it was interesting the way his character evolved over the movie. You kind of went in, I think, expecting him to be a total asshole the whole time yeah. and like granted he wants to get Axel out of town and wants him to stop messing things around, but all of that is just because he's kind of a by the book sort of guy right and a you know a very conservative police officer it's never 
any kind of irrational hostility, right. which I think we've been it's trained to expect. Right. Yeah. And in fact, partway through the movie, like, you know, they bring Axel in again and you're expecting him to like start screaming at him and, you know, really like try and run him out of town. And he's actually quite understanding of his position. Yeah. And he's he's totally open to hearing Axel's theory. He's like, well, why don't you tell us yeah. what you know? Let's hear it. And he like sits down. Even they're the asshole other cops who like make fun of our main Beverly Hills cops. Mm. And they're sort of dicks, but they also just sort of like sit down and hear him out. Yeah. There's like a level of respect between all of them that I was surprised to find. Yeah. And I kind of liked it. Yeah. He was a better guy than I was expecting. Right. Yeah. So I thought that was cool. Um. Anyway, uh, and the rest of the people aren't that big, but I just wanted to point them out. So we've got um, Bronson Pinchot as Serge. Did you recognize him? I didn't recognize him. You know who I'm talking about, though, I right? I do. Did you ever watch a TV show called Perfect Strangers? No. Oh. All right. Well, he's Balky. It won't mean anything to you. Okay. I've heard that name, though, Balky. We also got Paul Reiser, briefly, as Jeffrey. Do you know who Paul Reiser is? Um, remind me. Mad about you? Aliens? Yeah, yeah, he's the, like... The slimy corporate guy from Aliens. Yeah, yeah, I made a note about him. Yeah. And he kind of appeared in the same, I don't want to, like, the same capacity here as in those films where you just kind of see him ever so briefly at the beginning and he's, like, Oily. usually behind something weird. Yeah. 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 And then lastly, Jonathan Banks as Zach, who you noticed as being the guy from Breaking Bad. Yes, right. And the funny thing is, is that uh, I knew just from uh, prepping the episode that he was in this movie, and I still didn't recognize him. Yeah, he he has hair. In He's this. so young. Yeah, he has hair. <laughs> like I should have known. I should have realized just from that giant schnoz he's got. Yeah, but like, wow, he looks so different. Yeah, he really does. But anyway, so he's in this too. I wanted to point it out. Oh, actually, I do have one last comment. This movie is the film debut of a little actor by the name of Damon Waynes. Oh, yes. Wow, is his first film, huh? Mm-hmm. He plays a, a a queer attendant at the ball, and he gives Eddie Murphy the bananas. Those bananas he needs. Yeah, um, not the most sensitive portrayal of a gay american however given the time period this was made and we're gonna come back to this discussion point later could have been worse yeah agreed Um, yeah but we're gonna talk about that more in a bit so that being said let's actually get into talking about the plot of this movie yeah so it opens up in the first scene and uh we get (laughs) eddie murphy and a huge chase through Detroit. I couldn't help but notice that even in 1984, they were already depicting Detroit as a total shithole. Yeah, that was striking. Oh my God. It was already looking like a ghost town, which I thought happened in like right around the recession. Yeah. Well, I guess it's been happening for a while. Mm. I mean, you've got, I know it's not Detroit, it's Flint, but you've got Michael Moore's Roger and me. Yeah. Taking place nearby like after this right you know so i guess like this is a an area that's always been dying Mm. which i guess is sad i really liked that uh, after all of that destruction in and around the detroit area eddie murphy gets to the 
the police headquarters and you're just waiting for the angry superior yeah to chew him out and it does not disappoint the first line you hear from off screen is is that fucking foley in here <laughs> yeah right and i was like yes this is like it's a, a totally cliche trope but it is played really well yeah in this it's, film. it's perfectly delivered yeah. yeah that guy he is so genuinely rip shit and I completely bought it, and it was hilarious. And and let's let's recall that during the car chase, there is a lot of destruction. So much there's, shit gets destroyed. There there's a large truck being uh, chased, and this truck, like demolition derby style, just plows through. So many cars. Get so destroyed. many cars. One car blows up. It's it's insane. A lot of cop cars get wrecked. There is so much destruction. Property damage. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. And I, I can just imagine being in a chase like that where like each additional thing you're like behind the wheel of this truck just being like I'm fucked. I'm fucked. I'm fucked. Yeah. I mean like what do you do? Like after five cars or so you're like just fuck it. Like oh, in for a penny in for a pound at that point. Exactly. Try and get away. <laughs> like, like Jesus know, Christ. Like what? Okay. Might as well enjoy yourself at that point. Just dig it a deeper and deeper hole. It's fine. Let's enjoy the ride at that point. Yeah. Honestly. Um, we then get uh, Axel Foley meeting up with his friend from out of town uh, who breaks into his apartment as friends do. And the thing I immediately noticed is that fucking dick doesn't close the refrigerator door. Yeah, that's right. And and uh, thankfully, Eddie Murphy's character, uh, Axel, calls him out on it. Yeah. He closes the door. But I mean, what kind of asshole does yeah. that in the first place? No, he's that's not cool. So Why inconsiderate. You, just leave it? you know, a lot of refrigerators today will make beeping noises at you. Good. If you leave it open like that. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So that friend ultimately winds up getting killed. And it's not because of that infraction with leaving the door open. But, but if it, it had been my house, it would have been. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote down in my notes that this hit that happens on him, the hitmen are actually kind of scary. Like this scene is yeah. a little intense and, and the murder itself is like quite gritty it's very and violent. Graphic. Yeah. Yeah. It's disturbing to watch. Right. So again, uh, thoroughly wrong on the prediction of this being a family friendly yeah, there's romp. Yeah, there's graphic violence. There's uh, profanity all throughout the film. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of fucking profanity in this film. Well, I did ask you how familiar you were with Eddie Murphy's work as a comedian early in his career, and that's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah, well, this uh, was right in line with that. Although, to be fair, I mean, I guess at this point. He hadn't done a lot of other movies. A lot of his work was on SNL, where he wouldn't be swearing. Mm. But he'd also done some stand-up. Right. There's swearing. In There's that. a lot of swearing in the stand-up. Yeah. But um, anyway, you were also incorrect slightly in that he doesn't start as a cop in Beverly Hills. Right, he doesn't. No. He's a Detroit cop. Right. And uh, the crime he investigates isn't silly. No. It's, it's not like Ace Ventura. No. Yeah. You were, however, correct that it would be classically 80s, like there would be big hair, shoulder pads, yep. tight jeans. There were short shorts in that opening montage. Yep. A colorful leather jacket, I believe you anticipated. Yes. And uh, the funny thing is, is that uh, Eddie Murphy sees a guy walking down the street. With his jacket 
the from red his, leather suit yeah. from Delirious, yeah, yeah, which he'd made by that point, right? Yeah, so that's pretty funny. And you also predicted he would be a lone wolf, kind of, you know, and certainly his superiors kept getting angry with him, right? No matter he didn't where he really was. have he didn't really have a a partner that tagged along with him all the time. Ultimately, he wound up with two, right? But not for most of the movie. Yeah, not for most. Yeah. Quickly circling back to the classically 80s thing, this is a thing that I always notice is that once you hit a certain point in time going back, the cars all have that really boxy look. Yeah. And um, I think it's Vox did this article about how, well, first of all, like in movies... I, I think the article mentions that you can watch a movie from any time period, like let's say it takes place in New York City, and it basically looks the same. Like the buildings maybe change a little bit, the fashion changes a little bit, but generally speaking, the people are people, the buildings are buildings, the haircuts are whatever, you can recognize it and empathize with it no matter what. The only thing that really dates it is the cars. Interesting. Yeah, that's the thing that tends to stand out to people. And um, it goes on to say that that the change in cars from like boxy to sleek, mm. it happened in like mid to late 80s up through the early 90s. That's yeah. the period where that change took place. And now it will like instantly date your movie, mm. you know? Yeah, that's right. If it's before that time period. Right. And I just, you know, maybe this is a bias, but like I just look at cars like that and I feel like they like my immediate bias towards them is that they're shittier yeah like that must be a total piece of crap maybe it's just because i'm associating it with my memories of driving around in a boxy old volvo as a child mm. and i thought that car sucked um, right volvos are great cars just our volvo sucked okay don't at yeah. me <laughs> um anyway just thought i'd throw that out there sure and then lastly just Keeping with your predictions, you predicted that something racist would happen, something that maybe was also a little dated about the film. We already hit on the sexism, but uh, you also mentioned racism. Did you feel like that happened? Uh, so there were two moments that I noted as being uh, brushing with racism. One was towards the beginning, Eddie Murphy's manner of getting the hotel room and very blatantly like using the n-word to make the management team uncomfortable uncomfortable and persuading them to give him the free room mm -hmm. that was an interesting scene that did that and then there was another scene where we get the new partners the detectives that are assigned to tail him yeah after the first two are kind of uh taken off the case taken off the case yeah and he's like coaching the one on like he's making fun of how the black one talks mm. and like like basically insinuating he talks too white and is yeah. like coaching him on how he should help on his blackness basically right so that was interesting and and those those moments at least the second one field felt like it met the description of maybe wouldn't come up quite like that now I don't know if that's, I mean, maybe the style that those things happened has changed, but I don't know if either of those things are off the table for what could happen in a film today. Exactly. Yeah, or in maybe real you're life right. today. Yeah, maybe you're right. You know, for me, 
this isn't dated in any way, but I just felt like his initial arrest in Beverly Hills, he gets thrown out through a goddamn window, by the way. Yeah. And he gets arrested and like, there's some like, it's all subtext, but it's like, it's assumed that he is a criminal and it's partly the way he's dressed compared to everyone else in Beverly Hills, but largely because he's black. Yeah. And there's even a moment later where he's with Jenny and they're talking about that specific event and Jenny is defending the cop's reaction to him because she's like, well, you look like a hoodlum. And in her mind, she's talking about like, you know, this is Beverly Hills and you're in like jeans and like a ratty t-shirt. Yeah. But like, it's also because he's black. Right. So, you know, then again, someone would thoughtlessly say that today. So it's not dated, but it, you know, it was something that was there. Yep. Apart from race, though, uh, I mentioned it earlier. Homophobia in this movie? I don't think it's terrible. But in the 80s, sometimes it could be. There's a couple of things. So there's Surge. Right. Um, He's a little mannered, but at the same time, he's not that bad. There's Damon Wayne's character. Now, hold on. First, about Surge, how does does Balky compare to Surge? More colorful and over the top. Um, but the idea of perfect strangers is that Balky is foreign. Yeah. And he's from, I mean, Surge is as well. Balky is basically like the same character as Surge, but like ratcheted up to 11. So like it could be coded as gay, but it could equally be considered to be coded as foreign. And yeah. just like weird. Yeah. So, you know, that's what's going on there. The Damon Wayne's character, though. Yes. Yeah, and then lastly, there's Eddie Murphy's brief, another con, where he cons his way into the uh, country club as a gay escort. Yes. I actually think that one was okay, because I I kept remembering that Eddie Murphy does this gay character in order to con his way in somewhere, and I kept thinking throughout the movie, I was like, ugh, whenever that happens, it's going to be terrible. Mm -hmm. And then when it does... It's really not that bad. The angle he's going for is more that, like, I'm getting in because the maitre d' doesn't want to convey such sensitive sexual information, not because I'm, like, this flamboyantly over-the-top gay stereotype. Right. He doesn't He doesn't play it too offensively. Yeah, agreed. No, he, he plays it as a believable character, actually. Yeah. So I would actually say that that's a... a an area where this movie surprised me a little bit. Mm, I have to agree. Not that it was sensitive or anything, but um, for a comedy from the 1980s, there wasn't too much offensive homophobia used as a, as a joke. Right. So, hey, good on you, Beverly Hills Cop. So, like we said, dude's friend gets murdered, and he goes to Beverly Hills to investigate it. He cons his way into the hotel, which is pretty funny. I think that's the first scene where, like, Eddie Murphy's Eddie Murphiness really starts to like blaze through like a shining sun. Yep. Um, I also looked up uh, how much his room costs. So they say the room is two hundred thirty dollars a night in nineteen eighty four. So it's a nineteen eighty four dollars. Yeah. So that translates into twenty five thousand dollars a night. No, I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fifty five. No, that is five hundred and fifty dollars a night. In today's dollars. I think that same hotel nowadays costs a lot more than $550 a night. Oh, yeah. 
honestly. It might, yeah. So he's he's actually getting a pretty good deal. So then he goes and he visits the art gallery. Now, this art gallery I want to talk about. <laughs> Drew, you are an artist, are you not? I, I'm an artist. I'm a trained artist. I dabble. I dabble. What did you think of the artwork that we saw in this gallery? Granted, it was all kind of peripheral, but we did get some good looks at some of it. Yeah, it, I mean, it was like the filmmakers engineered this to be like kind of a spoof on trendy, crappy art. That's kind of what the art was like. Well, here's the thing, though. So this movie was made in 1983, 1984, and it could either be that, like, the director was like, props department, get me a bunch of, like, art that I can put up here. Grab some mannequins, grab some neon paint, and make me some stuff for an art gallery. Yeah. Or is it that in the 80s, art was just really that bad? Yeah. They, they Were they... It's possible they could have been using an authentic art gallery from the time. Why not? Yeah. Oh, my God. These things were so garish and so pretentious yeah. and over the top. Serge is talking to Axel Foley about the one thing that he he sold for like $150,000 just the day before. And it's like it is a an installation of a, like a table with heads on plates that are spinning. Yeah. It's like seven feet by seven feet. Like, it's just who, what fool would put this horrible thing in their home or anywhere? It's terrible. Yeah. Anyway, that's uh, art criticism corner, I guess, <laughs> part of this podcast. So Axel then goes to check on our villain, Victor Maitland, who uh, he's played by Stephen Burkhoff. He kind of reminded me a lot of Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Like Hans Gruber from Die Hard. Yeah. The way his voice was, that kind of like vaguely European, yeah. snooty, authoritative voice. Little German, if anything. A little bit, yeah. Or English. Yeah. I think he, he was playing it a little German. Yeah. I mean, he does deal in Deutschmarks. So. Right. I, I don't know. I just, I, I got that vibe off of him. But anyway, so he goes to his place, he interrogates him, and then the guy's goons throw him through a fucking plate glass window it was obviously safety glass because they were making a movie and filming a stunt not doing it in real life if that had happened to him in real life he'd be so bloody he would have looked like he'd gone through a paper shredder yeah holy shit i just like i'd forgotten that happened and it's so sudden and violent i was like oh my god and he's immediately blamed for it it's terrible my guess is that, like, as they were taking the elevator down, Maitland called the cops and was right. like, come help, you know, so he set him up to get yeah. fucked that way. Right, we we kind of get that revealed. Yeah, but, oh my god. So he gets taken to the Beverly Hills police station, which uh, is so futuristic and advanced compared to Detroit, isn't it? Yes. It looks like, uh, it looks like NASA up in there. <laughs> All those computers and screens. My god. Probably the power of a MacBook nowadays. <laughs> and there he meets all of our other cops. He briefly gets in a scuffle with Sergeant Taggart, who, like, fucking punches him right in the gut. Yeah, that's right. I lose his control a little bit. I was ready to hate that guy. Yeah, yeah. They do a good job of establishing him as a questionable character. Right, but Axel then uh, does a good job of winning them over. Although not before 
he screws them over by uh, escaping from their surveillance by famously ramming bananas up their tailpipe. Yes, that's right. It's a good move. Yeah, it's pretty funny. And um, what I also noticed, too, is that as he's doing it, the um, he distracts them by having the staff of the hotel bring food out to them. And the hotel guy sees him. And winks at him. But he winks with the, the eye that's facing the cops. Like, he turns to face Axel Foley, and he has one eye towards the cops and one eye not, and he uses the eye that they can see to wink at him. <laughs> it's like, have you seen Guardians of the Galaxy 2? Uh, yeah. It's like with Rocket, who he keeps doing that. He's like, don't worry, I know what you mean, wink. And he keeps using the obvious eye. Yeah. Yeah, it made me think of that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so he keeps investigating. He finds those coffee grounds. Did you know that about coffee grounds? That they uh, used to... No, I didn't, actually. Coffee grounds, you pack cocaine in them, and it throws off the dogs. That makes sense. That's brilliant. Mm-hmm. We should start doing that. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I, I could see playing it at our trial. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> yeah. Then they turn it off and turn to you. It's like, what? No further questions. Yeah. <laughs> like, objection. On what grounds? It's bad for me. <laughs> I'll allow it. Oh, actually, coming back to that homophobia question briefly, there is a scene when he's investigating one of the warehouses where... I might have heard this wrong, but I think one of the bad guys that he's listening to is describing how offended he was that a man hit on him at a bar, and he was like, yeah. I'm going to introduce him to you before I go back and rip his fucking head off. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Jesus. That was a bit of a weird exchange. Not for the time. Right, not for the time. Yeah. But even, like, I feel like the younger guy on the other end of that conversation was kind of, like, giving a signal that... It was making him uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I kind of read it more as just like he was sick of hearing that guy's shit. Yeah. As opposed to he had progressive views. Right. But, you know, whatever. It's a small thing. And they are bad guys after all. So. Right. So anyway, so at this point, Axel Foley starts talking to Taggart and uh, Rosemont, Rosewood. Rosewood. Judge, Judge Reinhold. Yeah. And he lays that Eddie Murphy charm on him. And he is very, very charming. Mm -hmm. like he's kind of impossible to dislike even when he's screwing you over which he's done to these guys like half a dozen times at this point he still wins them over and gets them to come to a strip club with him yeah pretty impressive mm -hmm. i'd have gone with him and yeah, we also he's uh, pretty charming that's also where i wrote that yeah this movie's definitely not family friendly nope not at all <laughs> once you get to the strip club you know that's uh totally out the window right because, you know, there's been a horrible murder already, but once you get boobs, you can't... Uh, that's probably where the R rating came from. Yep. Interestingly enough, so they're at this strip club, and then just randomly, there's a robbery attempt. Mm. And it's an alright scene, and it helps, like, establish Eddie Murphy and these guys' growing relationship. And also, like, how good a cop Eddie Murphy is, because he sniffs it out immediately when the two robbers walk in. But I'm kind of like, okay, one... It's sort of like random in the plot that like there just happens to yeah. be a robbery that takes place in the middle of all the other action. And they could have avoided it or worked it in by maybe having those guys be like two hitmen working for Maitland who've come after Eddie Murphy. Yeah. You know, and then it easily just could have been related to what's happening. 
anyway, that's besides the point. The more interesting thing for me is, um, do people rob strip joints? I mean... Why would you do that? It's, like, dark and loud and crowded. As far as I know, there's not, like, any one particular spot where all the money is kept like a safe or a cash register right it's all like loose cash floating around Hmm. like why would you ever rob a strip club yeah it's not a very good target is it i mean are we betraying our ignorance here like is strip club robbery a plague on the nation that we've just never heard of i don't know i i don't know it seems like a really bad spot to me right if you're gonna do it well you know that there is a lot of cash there there's a lot of cash, but it's like ones and fives. Right. You're going to need to like chase down strippers and empty yeah. your G-string. Yeah, exactly. No, it's not very efficient. Yeah. Well, anyway, I guess those guys are just dumb. We'd make much better criminals. I also noticed they play the theme song a lot. They played a lot. So my estimate was 11 times throughout the film. They should have played it 12. <laughs> Honestly, like, it kept coming on, and I kept just being, like, good. Yeah, this is so awesome. Keep playing it. Play it all night. I can just keep listening to it. I'm sure, like, eventually it could drive you mad, but, like, I think I could could have taken more. They had the theme song. They had a couple of other soundtrack uh, tunes that they played repetitively that were pretty good in creating this whole atmosphere. Yeah. Now, here's a question. So... Obviously, this movie was going to be successful because Mm. it's a good movie. It's really funny. And Eddie Murphy is just like a legend in it. Do you think it would have become the iconic film that it did without that song? Mm. That song is such an earworm. It burrows itself deep into your brain. You can never forget it. And you're always like excited to hear it. You and know, they like, play it over and over and over again. Yeah. But I mean, people also just like listening to it outside of being a soundtrack. It's you know? great. And I, I think the answer to your question is no, it would not have risen to its level without this. I agree. Amazing I... jingle of a theme song. I mean, there are a lot of great theme songs and even like better scores out there. I can't think of another soundtrack or movie associated song that has such a pop appeal, mm. you know, that that like you could just listen to over and over again repetitively and always feel good about. Like, I am always happy whenever I hear that yeah. song. It just makes me feel good. Yep. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And I completely agree with you. I think the movie still would have been a big hit, but it wouldn't have been such a touchstone without that music associated right. with it right right so and it can't be turned off Oh goodness. Alright, so there's more shenanigans and then we get then we get the scene where Ronnie Cox and the other detectives are like surprisingly open and amenable to hearing Foley out and like start to work with him a little bit. But then of course we get so my my expectation was partly like these are gonna be kind of like stuffed shirt white guys 
who are old and can't can't handle the the street smarts that Eddie Murphy represents. Yeah. But that doesn't wind up being the case until they go and find an older, whiter, stuffier <laughs> shirt guy to like come in from the other part of the building. To right. Be like, now I'm here to put an end to this. Yeah. <laughs> Is yeah. this the guy that I've been hearing about? This guy right here. Get this guy out of here. Seriously, what plantation did they find this guy on? Right. My goodness. And so uh, they are forced by their superior officer to throw Axel Foley out of town. But. Axel Foley still manages to convince Judge Reinhold to go on one last mission. Yep. And he gets himself and that poor girl caught. Oh, poor Jenny. But it's okay. Because Judge Reinhold comes to the rescue, fucking kills a guy, and then him and Axel go to Maitland's compound, and we get our big action scene. Yep, with all the machine guns. Yeah, well, first Taggart rolls up, and he's like, you guys can't go in there. And the two of them are like, dude, we're, I mean, the the situation is that like Jenny's in this guy's house and they are definitely going to kill her. And fucking Taggart over here is saying like, we can wait 20 minutes to get a search warrant or you can go in and get fired. And, you know, uh, Axel and Rosewood are both like, we're going in and that's what's going to happen. And it's all in subtext, but I feel like someone could have afforded a moment to just make it clear like we're going in because if we don't a woman is going to die yeah and and like if i get fired then i'm willing to accept that because i'm not going to stand idly by and let someone be killed right you know yeah regardless we wind up with our big action scene at the end so i want to ask you what did you think of the action in this movie yeah how about that action uh because it's mainly a comedy but it's got like a fair amount of action in it. There's that chase in the beginning with the truck. Yep. And then we've got all this gunplay here at the end. Yeah, I mean, I'd say I'd say the action is on par with a very good action film. I mean, from the car chase at the beginning, which is really well done. Yeah, I, like, I think it's good. It's it's gritty and real and it it, you know, it feels like now, if you were to have a similar car chase, you'd have CGI and all this. They, and like I said, it would, it would be cut to ribbons, probably, yes. uh, in the editing. This is this was just straight shots and actual cars being wrecked and all of this. I love seeing that. It was cool. Um, but throughout, I mean, the action was pretty good. You did have a couple of those uh, scenes where it's like, okay, Axel Foley shoots shoots the guy with the machine gun in one try those guys the bad guys in this movie could not hit the side of a barn right and it's cliche but this was like this was sub stormtrooper level accuracy yeah like so many times they had the drop on the good guys and laid into him with machine gun fire and completely missed yeah at least 3 times yeah at least 3 times so that was a a little unreal if you will yeah i i also noticed though that as they're breaking into the compound before the shooting starts it is an instance where bad guy security is actually working properly because the moment they break in they're picked up on the security cameras like instantly yeah and they're like the bad guy's like oh my god we gotta go deal with this right now you know and granted they couldn't hit them with their guns 
But uh, up until that point, everything was working exactly as it should have. Yeah. You know? And I was like, oh, good good job, bad guys. You're actually being competent for once. Right. Until they started trying to shoot someone. Yeah. I mean, good for them for opening fire so swiftly in this situation. You want to be decisive, yes. Yeah. You also want to have some aim. I mean, God. Yeah. Well... You know, they still managed to pin down Judge Reinhold and uh, Sergeant Taggart. And I realized I should be saying Rosewood, Rosemont, Rosen. It's uh, Rosewood. Okay, whatever. And there's there's a part there where Rosewood says that the situation they're in reminds him of the end of Butch Cassidy. Did you understand that reference? Uh, no, I wasn't familiar with that scene. That might be another one I need to watch. Uh, possibly. So... Uh, there's this famous movie called Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Which I've heard of. It's about the famous outlaws, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm-hmm. Whom uh, I've heard of. Right. So the roles are played by Paul Newman and Robert Redford. Whom I've heard of. Yeah, in one of their many uh, very iconic collaborations together. Anyway, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid very famously ends with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid's death in a fusillade from the Bolivian army. The last shot of the film, spoiler alert for a, like, hundred-year-old movie, but um, the last part of the film is that they're trapped by the Bolivian army in a shack, and they're basically out of ammo, and they're wounded, and they're not getting away. So they're like, let's go out in a blaze of glory. So they just bust out of the cabin, guns blazing, and it, like, freeze frames, and you hear the machine gun fire, and you know that they got shot to absolute ribbons. Mm. And that's how the movie ends. Wow. And so Judge Reinhold's standing there being like, hey, hey, this this reminds me of the end of Butch Cassidy, huh? And the old dude who knows what he's talking about is like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to die that way, you stupid idiot. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So that so that was why Taggart was mad when yeah, he said that. That makes sense. To explain that joke. Yeah. Cool. Well, then we get towards the end of the movie. The good guys kill uh, Maitland, the bad guy, after a tense hostage standoff, which, by the way, is resolved because Maitland shoots first and misses. He gets a shot off at Eddie Murphy. That's right. And doesn't hit him. But then Eddie Murphy and, again, showing that he's more of a more of a good guy willing to do what's right than we thought, Ronnie Cox. Right. Both blow him away. And uh, we get to the end where they have to explain what happens. And that horrible old plantation Colonel Sanders white guy (laughs) comes out and he's like, what happened here? And Ronnie fucking Cox lies to him. Yep. And everyone stands by it. They get to go along with it. Yeah. And we're put in a position to be cheering on lying cops. Yep. Who've done all kinds of illegal shit. But we are happy about it because God damn it, it gets the job done. That's right. It was it was good ultimately. Exactly. We get some we get some wrap up stuff, but that's basically the end of the movie. Justice is served. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about how this movie did. Mm. This movie was made on a fifteen million dollar budget. Would you like to take a guess as to how much money it made? Three hundred million. Very close. It made worldwide. 316 million dollars wow pretty good fucking return on your investment yeah i'd say so it was the highest grossing r-rated film of all time whoa and it held on to that until the matrix reloaded came out wow yeah 
That's in 2003. Wow. So for 20 years. Yeah. That's amazing. Adjusted for inflation, it's the third highest grossing after The Exorcist and The Godfather for R-rated films. Mm. But I mean, that's incredible. But also, I totally buy it just because R-rated films don't make as much money and so when you get one that's so good and iconic like this Mm. like of course it's gonna hold that title you know yeah it was the number two highest grossing movie worldwide of 1984 after uh of 1984 it's a while ago you're not gonna know indiana jones and the temple of doom oh which uh worst movie by the way indiana jones was worse than this temple of doom is yeah yeah have you seen it? I've seen it. Okay. It's just been a while, and you're right, it's not that good, so. Yeah. Um, it was nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. Hmm. It won the People's Choice Award for Favorite Motion Picture. Wow. And it won a Grammy for Best Soundtrack Album. Wow, okay. Of course it fucking did. It deserved it that it would win the grammy for best soundtrack album of all time yeah (laughs) so reviews for this movie at the time we've got uh, positive ones like janet janet maslin of the new york times beverly hills cop finds eddie murphy doing what he does best playing the shrewdest hippest fastest talking underdog in a rich man's world eddie murphy knows exactly what he's doing and he wins at every turn absolutely cool richard Schickel of Time writes, Eddie Murphy exuded the kind of cheeky, cocky charm that has been missing from the screen since Cagney was a pup. That's uh, James Cagney, an old-timey film star. Yeah. I'm not really that familiar with his work, but I'm going to assume that it's appropriate for this uh, this review. Sure. And agree that, yes, he is very cocky and cheeky, mm-hmm. and I like it. Now, on the negative, or at least semi-negative side... Roger Ebert wasn't a huge fan of this. Hmm. He gave it two and a half stars, which isn't terrible. But he wrote that uh, Eddie Murphy looks like the latest victim of the star magic syndrome, in which it is assumed that a movie will be a hit simply because it stars an enormously talented person. Interesting observation, Mm. given how much we've already talked about this film being such a pure extension just of Eddie Murphy's persona. Yes. And like, it rides so much on his magnetism as a star and his charm. Right. What Roger Ebert was getting at, basically, was that Eddie Murphy is the star that the rest of the film hangs around, and the movie around him really is nothing special. He wrote that... um, when making this movie, they could have tried to make it a little bit more sophisticated and intelligent, but instead they took the low road and went for like broad, cheap laughs. Yeah. And they just, hmm. they were like, you know, and you know, I talked earlier about how much I thought Martin Brest was competent, if not inspiring as a director. And I appreciated that. That was good enough. And I liked that he didn't like try and reach too much. Right. Eber feels the other way where it's like, he wasn't ambitious enough. Right. He's like, hey, I've got Eddie Murphy here. I can just put the camera on him and let it roll. Yeah. And that's good enough. I don't have to do any more work than that. It kind of reminds me of, I mean, nowadays it's kind of what you get with like a Will Ferrell vehicle mm. where it's like the directing is we're going to put the camera on Will Ferrell and let him riff. Yeah. And then we'll just stitch it together afterwards. That's right. And, he you know, can drive it. Yeah. And, you know, nowadays I consider that directing to be lazy. Right. 
Well, it is lazy, but but you can either agree with that choice and feel like it was it was good and give the director kudos about it, or you might feel that that laziness is a cop out and and missed opportunity to take a more instructive approach. Right. I'm gonna stand by what I said about breast direction, but um. Ebert's point is well taken, and it does give me a little pause, mm-hmm. you know. So I don't know. I'll I'll have to think about it more. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I would disagree that 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 approach to directing this film hurt it in any way. Like I I I I see what he's saying, but I don't agree with it as a knock against the film. Right. Ebert also wrote. Murphy is one of the smartest and quickest young comic actors in the movies, but he is not an action hero. Mm. And so, you know, he thought the action was a little, uh, again, uninspired. Mm. I mean, you know, it's pretty basic as far as action goes, but I think especially, you know, when I first saw it, I thought it was entertaining enough. I was younger, yeah. but I liked it. And I think uh, Eddie Murphy is fine. You know, granted, he's not like Schwarzenegger. Right. But I think he carries his action sequences fine. Yeah, I agree. And Maybe he does a little bit too much, like, you know, like, rolling and jumping, trying to, like, sell it. Like, you know, he goes down some stairs, hits the bottom, and then, like, rolls. Yeah, I I thought it was all yeah, quite fine. Yeah, fine. He, you know, he looked perfectly natural, like, shooting against uh, the guy from Breaking Bad and, yeah. you know, stalking each other through the house and everything. Like, I thought it was good. Yep. So, Okay. Axel Foley became Eddie Murphy's signature role, and it basically launched him into superstardom. He had done some films before this, but not a ton. So he'd been on SNL, he'd made Delirious, the stand-up special, and he'd been in 48 Hours and Trading Places. Hmm. Also a smaller movie called Best Defense, which I wasn't familiar with. Mm -mm. But after this movie came out, he became like Eddie Murphy. Right. You know what I mean? And it was an absolute monster smash. And I mean, to a certain extent, he's still the superstar that he is today based on it. I know he's done a lot of other stuff lately, but can you think of anything else he's done that has achieved the same level? I know I mean, he was in Shrek. Yes. But that's that was right. just his voice. That wasn't his face on those. And he's right. not the star and of that movie. He's not the either. star. I mean, the, there's nothing that is the Eddie Murphy career launch pad. Of Beverly Hills Cop. There's nothing else quite. And nothing else measures up. Yeah. Yeah. I want to acknowledge also that Axel F., which is the name of the song, was made by Harold Faltermeyer and uh, has had an enormous legacy since the movie came out. There have been two movie sequels, Beverly Hills Cop 2 and then Beverly Hills Cop 3. Mm. Neither of them are very good. That's what I've heard, yeah. Yeah. Uh, There are, however... Even right now, rumors of a Beverly Hills Cop 4. I would expect it not to be very good. No, but I mean, if Eddie Murphy came back to the role, like, rejuvenated and looking to, like, do his absolute best on it, it could still be pretty great. Right. You know, because as we have seen watching this movie, he's a man of titanic abilities. Yes, that's true. There was also an attempt made to make a TV show spinoff. Like around 2012, 2013, with oh. uh, Brandon T. Jackson playing Axel Foley's son. Huh. He was the guy from, uh, you see Tropic Thunder? Yes. 
He's the guy from Tropic Thunder. Okay, I think I know who you mean. When they're like, do you have someone you're sweet on back home? Yeah, Lance. Did you say Lance? No, I said Nance. Do you remember that character? Mm-mm. All right, whatever. It didn't work out anyway. So, that's the legacy of this film. But the most important thing, Drew, I think, is what did you think of this movie? Yeah, I liked it. Um, it was, as we say, surprisingly competent. Did it live up to the hype? I'd say that it it definitely lived up to the hype. It was it was funny. It delivered as being an, a good action movie as well. Ultimately, it was an enjoyable action movie. And you know, as far as the nonstop laughs, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't like laughing the whole time, you know? Like, yeah, we weren't rolling on the floor yeah, or anything. It wasn't like intense, like silly comedy the whole way through. It was, you know, you had your suspense and and action going on. And... Yeah, well, they're non-comedy scenes. Yeah. But you're, it's consistently highly enjoyable. Yes. You know who was doing a lot of laughing? Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy with his <laughs> classic <laughs> laugh. <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. That's it, it. It was quite prominent. You know, the funny thing is, is that Eddie Murphy is such a cool guy, and yet it somehow still makes him even more charming that he has such a dorky laugh. Yeah, oh, I love it. Well, I agree with you. It's not. I wasn't like in stitches the whole time, but consistently really fun film to watch mm-hmm. from beginning to end. I, there's no part where I was like bored or looking at my watch or anything. Even the non-comedy scenes hold up pretty well. That's right. Yeah. And we definitely had the uh, steeped in 80s style going on with the oh, yeah. saxophones and the mullets and the uh, shoulder pads. Shoulder pads. Shoulder pads. Oh, yes, the shoulder pads. Yeah, although Jenny's, uh, I mean, yeah, I feel like women often suffer the worst from the uh, abuses of 80s fashion. Mm. But other than like one shoulder paddy outfit, I thought Jenny was dressed pretty okay she for was. most of this and, movie. And the shoulder pads weren't those like garishly oversized business coat right. ones. Yeah, like... it wasn't like, she didn't look like a linebacker. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well then, Drew, I just got one more question for you. Better late or never? Oh, it was certainly better late. Yeah? Oh, yeah glad i caught it well i'm glad you caught it too because like i said i have a real soft spot for this film and i'm glad you enjoyed it well that's going to be about it for us today uh you can contact the podcast if you so desire by emailing us at better late than never pod at gmail.com or tweeting at us at better late underscore pod drew it is always a pleasure to have you on this podcast Thank you so much, Dave, for having me. And please come back again.
can't be turned off.